Welcome to Crossroads, a podcast about art, storytelling, and social change. Today's episode features Erica Munoz, an actress who recently starred in the HBO film Long Gone By. Munoz plays a single mother struggling with the threat of deportation while trying to figure out how to get her daughter through college. We talked about her gut-wrenching performance, as well as the meaning of storytelling in the Own Voices era, which emphasizes the importance of stories being told by people who live them. We also talked about Munoz's magnificently disastrous experience starring in Rent. I'm Eden, this is Crossroads, and this is the supremely talented Erica Munoz. I would love to hear a little bit about how you got into acting and was it part of your childhood or was there a moment where that passion sparked? Yeah, actually, you know, I, um, I mean, it's been part of my life since I was, since I was a little girl, I auditioned for the first, uh, I auditioned for Annie when I was a very little girl, I was like eight and I, I thought I could play Annie, but, um, (laughs) but back then it wasn't, you know, they weren't casting non-traditionally. So a little brown girl was not going to be playing Annie. So I, I didn't get that job. And then um, I remember just walking away and just being like, that's it, I'm done. I'm never auditioning for anything again. That's That was the worst experience of my life. I'm over it. And my mom just kind of was like, no, you can you can be mad. You can not like it. You can have all kinds of feelings about it. But if this is something you want to do, you don't, you don't get to give up. And she sort of dragged me to the next audition, even though I was horrified and didn't want to do it. But then um, I wound up getting cast in it and... I sort of was in musicals all growing up, um, stayed doing them in high school. And then after high school, I went to an open call for um, for Rent, um, which was um, huge at the time. It was it was like a couple of years. It had only been out a couple of years. And out I mean, it was insane. It was like out of thousand, like a thousand people or something. Um, I got cast and within a week I was on a plane to New York. So that's kind of how my career started. Um, so it was kind of like before that moment, I was like, uh, the idea of wanting to be an actor was there, but it sort of felt a little far away. And then kind of every single dream I ever had for myself came true before I was even ready for it. So, um, that's, that started my career. And then there were kind of twists and turns. I, I moved after Broadway, I did the, um, touring company for about a year and then moved to LA to try and do, you know, TV and film. And I had a little bit of success there, a few guest spots here, a few guest spots there. And then I had been there for a while and just kind of needed a break from it and stepped away, got married, had a couple kids. It was a few years. And then just, you know, my kids are getting older. And so it was about four or five years ago that I, that I said, you know, I think I want to go back and, and, you know, I just was really lucky. It kind of got a few jobs here, a few jobs there, but the industry has really opened up. Um, nothing like this, nothing like this uh, film where, you know, the the lead role in a film, had, nothing like that had ever popped up. So it's been a long road to get to, to this moment for sure. Yeah, I mean, the Annie experience definitely sounds... Um traumatic and like the kind of thing that would stick with you uh was that kind of like I know it's like all these years later and I'm still talking about it like it was yesterday no but it makes sense I mean it sounds like um sounds like it would make an impression I mean did you have have you found that as kind of a theme throughout your career or um you know early on 
Yes, because the industry has changed quite a bit. And there's a lot of young people now like in this space who are who are really kind of evolving and changing and, and demanding change. And there's a lot more voice in the industry um, where people want to see something different. You know, they want to see more inclusion, more representation. But when I was coming up, the roles, and, and, and honestly, still to, to this day, they're still fairly similar. The roles for, you know, a young um, Latino were either, you know, prostitute, gangbanger, or like BFF. There was nothing really meaty. There was no real, um, you know, and not, not to say that there's any, you know, there's different roles and, and they're all valuable, but I mean, it was just the same sort of auditions over and over and over and over again, which is kind of why I got burnt out. But the Annie thing stuck out to me because, you know, I didn't speak English until I was like five years old. And I don't, I, my parent, my parents, I was born here, but my parents moved to Costa Rica very quickly after I was born. So when we moved back, like it just didn't occur to me that I couldn't play that part. It just never even entered my consciousness that I was like, yeah, she's a little orphan. Like I, I could play an orphan, you know, I'm fiery. Um, and so when I realized when people kind of laughed at that notion, that's when I realized that, oh, I can't play anything I want to play I can only kind of play what they want me to play and when when I was young like you know rent was such a an anomaly Broadway is pretty um pretty historically you know the same type of actors it's it's Hamilton has kind of changed that a little bit and rent was like the Hamilton of its time it was like the first time you saw people of color really in lead roles so that was like the first professional job that made me think okay, maybe there's something else out there. But then when I tried to do TV and film, yeah, it was sort of the same kind of thing over and over again. And I really just got burnt out where I, where I said to myself, like, I don't, I don't want to keep going out for these things and playing these same parts. And I'm just, I'm so tired of, you know, doing the same kind of thing, the same trope over and over again. So I don't know. It's changed since I've come back. It's changed a bit. I mean, I had to get with the right representation. I was with a couple of managers that didn't really understand me and didn't really know me. And then I ended up connecting with my current manager now. And she really, she really got me from the beginning. And, and there's more, certainly more roles. There's more work out there, but, but, you know, it's challenging because we still have a, an inclusion problem. We still have the problem where we're really kind of having to claw and, if you look at the numbers, you know, we make up such a huge part of the audience and yet we're, we're like barely represented in film and TV. You can, there was, I think one Latino, uh, nominated for an Academy Award, like almost in any category this year, this last year, which is just crazy to me because there are so many creatives that are, that are doing, um, such incredible work. So yeah, it's evolved for sure, but but, you know, I have a Broadway credit and I've had some work and it's still hard for me to get um, in the room when there's when there's roles that I think might be right for me, because, you know, it's 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 hard. We're all kind of clawing for those for those meaty parts. You know, we really want those. I was researching a little bit about how even though Hollywood has like talked a lot about representation and made a big show of hiring um, like more diverse uh, crew members and writers and things. It's like often they don't get to ascend the ladder. They 
kind of oh yeah they are. I've heard that a lot yeah and I think too um which is what's so great about HBO buying this movie I was just talking to somebody uh I was doing an interview a little while ago and and they were like I'm um I was really surprised that they picked you guys up and I was like yeah me too I was really surprised too because we don't have um I've been in the industry a long time but I'm I'm not a name I'm still clawing and trying to get work you know so you know the fact that HBO would actually put their money where their mouth was and really invest in a film that had two unknown you know Latinas in the leads uh two female producers that had never produced a film before you know what I'm saying like Mm -hmm. putting us in these positions where like we are we are having visibility on a scale that we've never had before It, it really shows that it really is of no benefit to them other than to do what they say that they want to do, which is provide more experiences for people to discover new talent. Specifically me, because I'm, you know, I'm over 30. I'm, I've been in the business a long time. I, I'm not a name. All of these things were barriers for us after we made this movie. We couldn't get into any, you know, hardly any film festivals. It was really challenging because of the fact that we didn't have a name. We kept hearing that over and over and over. Mm-hmm. Um where these festivals are supposed to be giving a platform. These festivals have actual, I'm not going to name any festivals in particular, but <laughs> but some of them have, you know, oh, we have the Latino arm here. We're bringing all, and we couldn't get anyone to even look at our film because there was nobody of value in it. So yeah, there's a lot of noise. A lot of people like to say, you know, inclusion, 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 but, but um, when you actually have somebody like somebody with the, the clout and the, visibility of HBO saying okay here's what we're going to do we're going to actually give this this film you know a huge audience that's where you really start to see change and you really start to mm-hmm. see you know growth because because our opportunities behind the camera and in front of the camera really are so few we don't have the same sort of freedom to fail as other people do you know you you could see some some directors some actors are making you know terrible movies and they get to make like 10 more terrible movies. But it, for us, it's like one shot. That's it. If it's a terrible movie, then you're done, you know. So it's huge. It's huge for us that HBO is doing this for our film. Well, it's a, it's a great film. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your experience working on the film. Um, what what stood out to, uh, to you about the story or how did you how did you see your, uh, your role in the film grow as, uh, as the process of creating it went on? Um, yeah, it was a it was a really collaborative experience. Um, it, it, we shot the movie two years ago, or not last summer, but the summer before. Time is like crazy right now, so it feels like it was. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. A month ago feels like ten years ago, but um, so you know there things were sort of still in motion, and people were were you know moving towards more representation, obviously. But Andrew understood very early on. We we had been working on a documentary. TV series idea that he had where we were talking to people around the country um, and we were doing a series on undocumented immigrants and we had spoken to um, a bunch of people working um, like in the agricultural area in um, Central California and then to some dreamers and then to a family that was taking sanctuary inside of a church and the and the pastors that were kind of holding her and her children there. And we, he just, the wheels kind of started turning for us. We both really, you know, love the narrative space and 
like most creative people, we're, we're working on something, but we really want to be doing something else. So we were really passionate about these stories, but he's a narrative director and writer and I wanted to act. So he and he just sort of brought me in and said, look, I want to tell this story about what you wouldn't. I want to tell a story about a mother who is backed against a corner and what wouldn't she do for her kids, that kind of thing. So he started the wheels turning there. But very early on, he understood, you know, he's not a mother and he does he doesn't live in this space. So he brought me on as a producer like almost immediately and included me in conversations, creative conversations and how we could, you know, build this world. He brought his wife, who's just an incredible um, photographer and filmmaker herself, on to produce the film. She's also a mother. And so we just started building this this whole world. And I mean, he wrote the story and um, he had just finished a documentary called The True Cost, um, which is really great. It's a great documentary on fast fashion. Really, really good. Um, but it had a lot of success and he had some like buzz around him. So he kind of had the option to um, audition name actors. But um, but he w- he insisted from the beginning that he wanted me to play the part. And and I just remember just I even was like, are you sure? Because, you know, you'll have a lot more success if you get somebody who has some sort of you know name. But he just really was passionate about it. He really wanted to tell the story. He really felt like bringing visibility to, you know, this story and to uh, to unknown talents and all of that were really important. So we kind of crafted Anna together in a way. It was his story, but the character was just built on, I thought a lot about my own mother who was a single mother with four children and how she worked, um, I mean, just nonstop, but but always had food on the table, always made it to our events, you know, just did so much for us. And so I built Anna kind of around her, just keeping that sort of stoic, you know, there's love there, but there, it's it's really just about every single thing that she's doing, starting from, and this is just all story that we put in, in our head that wasn't shown in the film, but starting from how she got to Indiana and in the United States in the first place was in service of her daughter. So I just kind of kept that in my mind. Like that's what happens when when you have kids or at least in my family, that's what happens. It just everything becomes in service of how can I set this child up to have the things that I didn't have? Like what can I give them? And that's kind of where we that's where we started from. And that's where every single choice she made, however desperate, however crazy, that's where it came from, that desire. So they weren't always smart choices. They weren't the best choices, but her intentions were, how can I help my daughter? I mean, what can I do for her? You know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That definitely seemed like a core of the film, um, definitely the mother-daughter relationship. But, uh, and I think also just the whole plot of the film seems even more relevant now. I mean, as a people who are undocumented can't get unemployment or things like that. Yeah, we're seeing that even in our own, um, like I was telling you, in our own, community are my kids um go to they're in a dual immersion program um and we take them out of district to to put them in that program so they're the school is like it's like 96 or 95 percent my statistics are always way off but it's a high percentage of of um, low-income families and a lot of our families don't qualify for any government aid so a lot of them were already sort of living you know paycheck to paycheck and now they um 
they just don't know, you know, they're struggling to, that's why I say when you asked me at the beginning, how are you guys doing? I think, you know, we're doing great because there are some people that can't even feed their families and are literally like asking their neighbors for food because they can't feed their kids. Now our district is providing lunch and breakfast for the kids, but you know, some people are out of work. And so it's just a really real problem when you're backed against a corner and you're thinking like, you know, about how am I going to feed my children? I mean, that's a very real, that's a very real, you know, problem. It's a very real thing that people are dealing with now. So certainly you can kind of see those parallels in the story of, of the desperation of what do you do? And we were, we were really trying to, um, this is one thing that I think Andrew was really trying to do. And I was really trying to do. It's like, it's so easy to, kind of um, make a person into a thing and, and not and a category and not really see them as a human being. But you find in some of these communities, this is what we saw a lot, you'll have people that will say, you know, this person, you know, these, these people are breaking laws and this, that, and the other. But my friend Miguel is different because I know him, because he works in our community, because he's a good guy. It's like the minute you strip away, you, you start to strip away the label and know the person and understand the humanity in them, even the hardest person is not able to just see them as black and white. You know, it's like, that's, I think, what he was trying to do is like, let's like really take a look and examine these themes and these core issues, which are, we are all, we all know what it's like to care about our family. We all know what it's like to want the best for the people that we love. And we all have the same desires. You know, we all feel the same way. It's just, we're all coming at it from different beginnings, from different perspectives. So yeah, I think that's what he was really trying to, to show in that story. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not easy to, um, also tell tell these because like there's no one story for how this should be told and I've read I don't know I I've read a lot about um just like the act of storytelling or storytelling for um communities that you're not a part of and things like that and I don't think that there's any clear answers but I remember yeah. hearing a lot about like the American dirt controversy I don't know if you oh yeah no I know that. all about that you know all about that yeah so uh, yeah. I don't know I was just I don't want to like um ask any uncomfortable questions but just wondering no, if, if that informed your view of your role in this film or if that was ever a point of discomfort or anything like that yeah I mean and again like I, I was saying when we we shot it a couple years ago so you know this whole the whole story is evolving and everybody is changing and I'm evolving and changing with it because I came up in a completely different time I mean I'm still in a generation where I'm having to explain to other people like what Latinx is and why I keep saying it you know mm-hmm. so you know I think that there is definitely room and space for evolving um, and moving through and asking those questions of like, do I even have the right to tell this story? I mean, that's something that Andrew was talking about very, very early on is, you know, I'm a white, you know, cis straight male. Like, do I really even have the right to tell this story? Like, why am I telling this story? You know, and just to answer your question, like our motivation was, I mean, I personally have direct, I am not undocumented. Um, but I have direct experience in the sense that like, I, I live in these communities, my children go to school with other kids who are living in these communities. And so I have like conversations with people that help inform the choices I make. Certainly it's not the same as living in the experience. And I think there is value to really, you know, writing about, um, 
what you know and and letting people who are living in that experience, especially because there are so few opportunities for us to write about our experiences. For us, the way we kind of answered those questions is we were looking at the universal theme of, um, like, for it wasn't really about trying to make a statement necessarily. It was about what is it like to be a mother? What is it like to want to do whatever you can do for your children? And what is, and this was like almost immediately, he started work on this film almost immediately after um, the current administration started. So it was like very, it was like our heads were spinning a little bit and we were just like, oh my God, what, how do we tell this story in a way that it hasn't been told? And we both felt like, you know, I do know what it is to be a mother. I do know what it is to um, to be a stranger in my country. And I do know what it's like to to have that like experience. So while I'm not living in that experience completely, I felt I felt okay at the time with moving forward in it. You know, I think it's it's kind of a challenging place to say to say you can only tell stories that you directly have contact with. I mean, in some ways, and I say that, you know, carefully because I'm always open to uh, evolving and I'm always open to conversation and young Latinx talent are really, they're really making a lot of, you know, they're having a lot of uncomfortable conversations that need to happen with like people in my generation. So I'm always open, I'm always evolving. But for us in that time when we were making this movie, our intention was to tell the story of um, a mother and to humanize a group of people that in our space we were seeing when we were talking to these people who they felt invisible so we were trying to kind of make some sort of you know parallel there and that that was our intention so yeah yeah and and it's also it's challenging because like when you have people um you know, Andrew is like literally, he talks about this a lot and we joke about it a lot. I mean, he's literally like, he's had to, I mean, we had somebody at the premiere in New York that literally was like, why are you qualified to talk about this and tell this story kind of thing? And so, I mean, I think there's an understanding there, but it's really like, he does have a position of privilege. I mean, there's no denying that he had a lot of opportunity because just by virtue of being who he is. And in that opportunity, it was like, you know, he wants to make films and he, it wasn't, it wasn't a situation where it was like, you know, I'm going to make this movie and that's that. It was like, I have this idea. I want to tell this story. And we sort of just organically came to it based on the, the, the real life conversations we were having with people in the field. And it was kind of like immediately, can you come on and will you produce and will you help with the story and that kind of thing. So for us, it was more about, but, but, you know, I do see the other side of it. I really do. I do understand, um, you know, we got to tell our own stories, but I do think that there is value in people who are in a position of privilege saying, look, I have the opportunity to tell a story. Um, I can make a film right now. I've got some movement around my career and I'd like to make that movie with someone who has been in the industry for almost 20 years and has never had an opportunity like this before. So would you like to be that per- you know what I'm saying like there's there's this is an opportunity I've been in this industry clawing for a long time and I would not have had this opportunity I would not be uh, sitting here talking to you were it not for Andrew saying you know 
I'm not, I'm not trying to have somebody who's already got a platform. I want somebody whose talent I believe in who has never been seen before. And could this be the right story? So, you know, we're both conscious of like, maybe we, you know, we're, we're always both open and willing to listen and grow and change and certainly not, you know, I'm not, I'm not insensitive to that, to the other side of that. I get that argument for sure. No, totally. That, uh, I think that's a really great approach and just being open to the evolving conversation seems yeah. to be the conclusion that I've seen the most, um, people come to. So, and you were, you were fabulous in the film. So congratulations oh, thank you. on your thank performance. You. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thank you. I was scared most of the time, but, but really glad I got through it. Yeah, I felt like your role was such a kind of this grounding figure in the film, but also um, like both the character and the performance. So it was cool to see. Thank you. Appreciate that. I did want to ask about, I just have to ask about your experience in Rent. I'm <laughs> okay. a huge fan of Rent, and Thank I know you. you're probably always asked about that, but I just need, to, I just want to love no. a few more details about your experience in Rent. Okay, I'm happy to give details about my time in Rent because it was like, <laughs> The craziest. I'm actually. It's funny. I'm actually working on a pilot about um, on a on a sitcom or a TV show. Not necessarily a sitcom, but a show about my experience there because it was just bananas. Like, um, so I was a. I don't know if you know what this is, but I was like a huge rent head. Like I was sitting at the lottery. I mean, I was obsessed with the show, obsessed. And so I didn't even. I almost didn't even go to the open call. My boyfriend at the time was like, what have you got to look like? You're literally doing nothing today. Just go. We lived in Orange County. He's like, just go. It was at this bar in Orange County called the, or in LA called the Garden of Eden. I walked in and it was just like this seedy bar. I sang with like a casting assistant in the bathroom. And I sang this like really ridiculous, like Christian (laughs) church song. And he's like, do you have anything else? Then I sang from the show and he's like, all right, go upstairs. So it was just this like, it was this whirlwind. And I'll, within a week, I'm, you know, going from being a receptionist and going to community college to literally being in Times Square trying to go on for Mimi. You know, it was just bananas. It was like my head was spinning. And these are people who I worshipped, you know. So it's it's crazy because now as a grown-up, you know, I was, I was a child. And I always laugh about how you're your most insecure when you're like your youngest and prettiest and skinniest you'll ever be. That's when you're the most insecure about how you look and your talent and all of that. And I wish like now I'm like super confident, but I'm like, I want to just like shake 20 year old Erica and be like, girl, this is it. This does not get better than this. So you better be happy. But I was just, I was just really just like humbled and proud to be there. And I had a disastrous opening night as Mimi. I um, I, I don't know if you know who Norbert Leo Butz is. He's an actor. Mm-hmm. He's uh, in a bunch of stuff. But he was playing Roger at the time, and he was the lead. And he, we were doing a run-through. I was going on for Mimi that night. I was an understudy. And I literally had to kiss him at the end of Out Tonight. I knocked out his tooth. He had to go to the dentist. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I This is like – this is the, the my opening night. I – was trying to do (laughs) light my candle I lit my hair on fire girl I lit my hair on fire yes that they had to like pat it down and then (laughs) then the night this is like it's like Broadway legend I'm famous on Broadway for being such a huge failure so I get up there on out tonight they they used to have it where they would put glitter in your hair and then you know you'd shake your hair and the glitter would come down it'd be so amazing 
some of the glitter, like, I don't know what happened. It got in my eye. I slipped and I was legit hanging upside down, like right in the middle of out tonight, <laughs> just trying to sing this song. Yeah. This all happened in one day. This was a single day of me just, just being a huge failure. So that is, the, that is the memory I take away from my time at Rent. I don't know how they didn't fire me. They were all so, so incredible and so nice. But I honestly think that I just was so not ready. Like, you know, all these people, people were saying, you know, we believe in you. We've got you. You know, you booked this role. But I just was so deeply insecure. I just, I think it was just like a, I just could not handle the pressure of it. Mm. But after that, everything else went pretty well. It was a pretty fun experience. And then I moved to the national tour and that was much better. And I was back in California at the Golden Gate Theater in San Francisco. So that was super fun. And and then, you know, it just closed and, um, and you know, I moved on. But it was just, it was a dream come true to get to work with those people, many of whom I'm still friends with. And it was just like, just a dream. I still kind of can't believe it happened. I feel that way about mm-hmm. every moment of my life. I'm kind of like, is this happening right now, really? I don't even know. <laughs> um, yeah. I guess that sounds like a good a way good, to end. Or a good life or a good story worthy uh, way of approaching life. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. It's a good story for me because it reminds me that if you do not believe in yourself, then it does not matter what opportunities come in front of you. You could have your whole dreams come true, but if you have, if you don't have the faith in yourself, you're not going to propel yourself forward. I mean, that's the lesson I learned from that. And that's what I feel now in this point at this stage in my life. I'm kind of like, you know, um, every moment I take with, with gratitude and, and I'm just humbled and grateful for it and just ready for whatever comes next, you know? And I was not ready then. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, thank you so much for um, sharing the stories and taking the time no to problem. talk today. It was great to hear from you. Great to hear from you as well. And really nice to chat with you.